0: All right. This is the rare grounded episode <laughs> <laughs> where we'll try to integrate sort of every avenue of my life so far. Okay, so in the last few seasons or episodes, what we've done is basically map out increasingly weird and bizarre and generally transcendental aspects of being a human being, right? The numinous, the mystery, the infinite, so on and so forth. And that's really nice. I think we touched on a few more grounded topics in this sort of blown-out metaphysical way or oh, critical metaphysics physics meant in the sense of a metaphysicist rather than a metaphysician a metaphysicist is closer to a, phys- a physicist or one who does physics rather than a metaphysician who is one who yeah, works to heal, works to make sense is using metaphysics in a broader sense, but yes. So which avenue do we start with in sort of integrating all this stuff? So, first and foremost we have the gender stuff, (laughs) the gender and sexuality update is that, basically, it's not possible to accurately determine what a person's gender identity or sexual orientation is or while it's not possible for me to do so with my own or anyone else's there simply isn't enough data there simply isn't enough language isn't enough discourse isn't enough understanding of exactly what these things are because it's a very peculiar thing you have each sexuality and sexual orientation and gender presented as largely mutually exclusive but mutually exclusive things are always orthogonally or perpendicularly or parallelly related to each other, right? they are not just different things happening in their own spheres without any relation to each other. There are different things that are connected to each other in very peculiar ways. For example, the mind is orthogonal to the physical body But they're definitely related to each other (laughs) And it's that orthogonal relationship That's there, that's present among identities, among sexual orientations And all these other things So basically Since this is the grounded episode (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) Terrible at being grounded But yes Since this is the grounded episode Which is sort of And maybe even The real last episode Of this podcast At least for now At least for a while but yes, so the experiments we've run since the beginning of this podcast, at least, is what got us started, right? Can you do enough spiritual practice of whatever kind in order to cure your bipolar, right? To cure chronic depression and anxiety. The answer is at least based on my effort over many years to do this is that I cannot really do this the closest research we have is that to an extremely high degree psychedelic and numinous experiences help for like months and they help much better than sort of taking the usual pharmaceuticals every month or every single day or so so yeah even multiple times a day so there's sort of there's something there there's potential in numinous experiences to have life-changing effects to improve your life but when i looked at my personal experiment it's sort of looking at what the Buddha actually suggests, right? What even the yogis suggest, which is the same thing as what Buddha suggests, right? Well, there's this suffering, and the cure to suffering is pretty much maximum spiritual development that you can possibly achieve in this lifetime, which in this lifetime, pretty much. Okay, so maximum spiritual development. Well, Well, first and foremost, that maximum thing is a peculiar thing Because you end up with weird paradoxes That can be resolved through collage logic Right, where everything is grouped together But yes, um... I'm trying to throw out all the jargon as much as possible. Just sort of get to the core. Okay, let's be straightforward here. Yeah, couldn't cure it, eh? Couldn't cure it. <laughs> In fact, what's poignant about this is that long before, or like at the beginning, which is about like 2016, 2017, around there, 2016 I think, if we draw the beginning there of sort of this actual full directed pursuit of enlightenment, right, of trying to get rid of the depression, trying to cure it, right? Okay, God, you can do everything. There is magic. It seems to be real. Okay, I don't understand what magic is, but can I use it to pretty much fix the bipolar, to fix the depression, to fix the pain? One of my greatest fears at the time, or my only greatest fear that I've ever really had, right, was... Was that after having found the right medication for my bipolar? Right, we have you have sort of your usual anti-epileptic mood stabilizers, sodium valproate, basic stuff. With that, I was in Tegretol for a long time, but that is also an anticonvulsant, anti-epileptic for mood stabilization. That's being removed now. And then you have this very obscure Zaprazodone thing. Zaprazodone hydrochloride which terribly, terribly obscure schizophrenia drug based on the dopamine system which is a very, very rare sort of antipsychotic and mood stabilizer that is just terribly, terribly obscure but it's the only one that really worked for stabilizing my mood so that's working (laughs) i guess right and we're trying to sort of repatch the meds for things to work out and with that as well you sort of have your alprazolam general anxiety stuff, and yeah, just anxiety and depression, your usual bipolar medication, right? Symptoms for chronic depression and chronic anxiety, treatment for it, the treatment that works, as much of it as we can take, as much as is necessary to sort of not even stuff them under the carpet, but like fully... Build the whole building on top of them Of medication and mental health and therapy Such that we never know that there is a body buried under the building (laughs) Right, we never talk about the corpses that we buried Within the foundations of this amazing city of ours That was the general idea but there are ghosts of course naturally as any classic movie from the 80s will tell you you build on a grave you build your commercial business or egoic nonsense on you build your ego upon a grave of traditional people <laughs> <laughs> instead of trying to like Deal with it properly, and the ghosts of those people will terrorize and haunt. Whatever you, what that ego eternally. Anyway, that's enough rambling messes. But pretty much when we began back in twenty sixteen, right with the regular meditation. That's age 21 yeah that's age 21 this is of course after 2015 when i had a complete breakdown <laughs> and finally basically said okay universe or whatever or whatever it was i was talking to at the time i just said okay here's the deal right i can't handle all this chronic depression and self-destruction and all this stuff. I finally admit that I need help. I am NOT going to do any tricks where I try to test the doctor to see whether they actually can diagnose me properly, whether they can actually understand anything I'm going through. I'm not gonna test them at all. What I'm going to do is just Say yes. Whatever help, whatever technique, whatever thing they want me to do, whatever the help is, I am going to take that help, and when they ask me if it's working, I'm gonna tell them in clear yes or no terms whether it's working or not. That's all. Take this medication. Take the medication, Is it working? It's kind of working, but there's still this problem. Okay, try the next medication. Okay, this one's making me too sleepy, and I need to function during the day. I'd rather not be constantly asleep. Okay, let's try this other medication. But the medication was working, even though it was making me terribly sleepy. And so on and so forth. Cocktail after cocktail after cocktail. What's... Terrible about the story or the sad part the personal tragedy Related to my fear is that I had six sessions of well fully anesthetized sort of What is it? Is it by temple I think I think yeah the new method whatever the new method or method was around that time for electroconvulsive therapy sadly i didn't know about psychedelic assisted therapy which has shown very very amazing results impossibly amazing results some of the best results that we've seen in mental health treatment in a very long time so yeah six sessions heavy anesthesia electrocuting my brain a bunch right but it's sort of localized rather than the general brain shock it's sort of like localized to specific areas so it doesn't cause as much damage or grogginess mm-hmm. or harm it's a very safe and advanced approach to what is, what is or what is or what was an extremely harsh therapy. Maybe the therapy worked initially and now I need to go again. It's not just a once in a lifetime treatment. I don't know about that but it seemed to make me feel better at the time, better than I was. I'd say where I am now is better than I was, but it's closer, right? The fear, right? The core fear that I had at the time as I was improving was that one day at some point, right? We all have like our postponed suicide plans right oh i'll never see 40 i'll commit suicide at 35 and when you're happier you're like oh i won't see 50 at 45 and you generally yeah i hold i hold robin williams as sort of the standard for me right he went through addiction fame family he did pretty much The whole trip that you can do, all the milestones of being a fully fledged human being, you pretty much executed from the good stuff to the really bad suffering and addiction stuff to the really difficult stuff, right? Like a full, full human life. And like... Still, after raising children, after being well-known, after succeeding career-wise, after, like, milestone after milestone after milestone, is that what's special about him as compared to someone like Sylvia Plath or Kurt Cobain or Sid and Nancy and all the other, like, the stereotypical people of the 28th and 27th club, right, is that you have someone who lived the full span of life, right? They went all the way with life, man. They fought the good fight and still committed suicide. That, that's the one that gets me. I don't have any real personal connection to Robin Williams. It's not particularly influential, his work in my life. But the fact that you can go through like over 50 years and like really live life in full, as full as it gets, and still... And, and still kill yourself? Still? Like, barely, like, I'm barely turning 27. Barely in my late 20s, right? Almost been a decade since, yeah, it would be like a decade now. First decade since the onset of my bipolar and stuff. But yeah, man. <laughs> it's that cool. But then again, before I go too negative with this, I'm like, well, if you look at the history of the varieties of people and contexts historically, socially, in almost every way, their mental health or their well-being, it doesn't really seem to make a difference what is going on inside or outside of you. For some reason, somehow, at any time, you can find yourself there on the suicidal line and you go one way or the other, you either attempt it or you don't and you either die from that attempt or you don't. It seems to be as or just random a way to die as being hit by a fucking bus while walking down the street, right? Like, dying in a car crash, getting shot due to some racist scenario, dying in a war, dying from a fucking infectious disease. As far as ways that humans die are concerned, suicide is just one of them. It's peculiar, but it's just one of them, right? Oh, among all of the things that can kill you, you are one of those things. You are one of the... It's not special. It's not courageous. It's not not courageous. It's not cowardly. It's not particularly fascinating. It's just... Oh this is just one of the ways You can die (laughs) Which is one of the ways You can die Out of the thousands of thousands Of absurd little ways You can die This is just one of them Which sort of begs The question of Okay What the hell is death Exactly Right If sort of Sort of imagine what possible individual existence you had before you were born if there was any existence. Or imagine the sort of full breadth of string theory of ten dimensions of each particle of like human existence that there is. Every part of your body, all of you, exists in At least ten dimensions, right? We live on at least ten dimensions. We are composed of a reality of ten dimensions. That we're that's so that since our bodies are tenth dimensional bodies, this explains all our parts, right? It's yeah. You have visionary experiences. We have numinous experiences. We experience other dimensions. We have dreams. We have weird fantasies, our mind and our body's relationship to each other is orthogonal. All you need is like one orthogonal relationship between two phenomena and you can define them as existing in different dimensions. That's the most basic definition from geometry of what makes up a dimension, right? A dimension is differentiated from another due to an orthogonal relationship to each other. That's all. (laughs) right We don't need gods and angels and all this other metaphysical stuff that's all we're talking about very clear mathematical statement very simple logical thing but yeah so you have at least like 10 dimensions right you have all these different parts of you in the simplest form okay so before you were born, you didn't really have a mind, right? Say you didn't exist at all, right? Okay, now that you do exist, you have a physical body, you have a mind, you have a Newman or what is more commonly called a spirit, and you have a Theos, sort of like the other dimensions of aspects of yourself. Right. You have at least four sort of orthogonal parts of yourself, which are sort of overlapped and embedded within each other in really intricate ways. And with the environment around them in each of those dimensions. Right. So very peculiar, very complex, interdependent set of affairs. But like, yes. So yeah, so okay, if the physical body dies, which is multidimensional and in sort of, in a sense, houses all the other dimensions, right? It's three dimensions plus the fourth dimension, then the other six dimensions are sort of embedded within one another inside the third dimension. So orthogonally... Orthogonally and internally To the physical body Right It's inside your head But it's inside your head In another dimension It's inside the body But in another dimension And inside that one Is inside the mind But in another dimension And then with the spirit With the Newman It's inside the Newman But in another dimension And sort of inside that one And sort of Yeah <laughs> It's like that, sort of inside each other, but in another dimension, right, you take, right, if you take a piece of paper and you sort of place things on a flat piece of paper and you sort of escape place coins on a flat piece of paper or something weird like that. And, like, you run out of space on the surface of the piece of paper. And then you take six other pieces of paper and you make a box. And then in that box, you then put in your coins. You'll have more space than you had than with just on top of one piece of paper. Right. You spread them out rather than stacking them up. Right. So you spread them out next to each other. You run out of space for all your coins and then you can start stacking them upwards as if you're filling a box. This is accessing the third dimension. Right. It's on top of each other. Right. On top of each other building upwards. Right? So they're overlapping, right? They're related to each other, but orthogonally. And this is how you get more space and sort of... You can do the same thing with higher and higher and higher dimensions, right? Okay, you run out of three-dimensional space. You just move it and put it in the fourth dimension. You run out of fourth-dimensional space. You just put it in the fifth dimension, and so on and so forth, and so on and so forth. But yes. So back to where we were, right? Pretty much, I'm saying this is that exactly what death is, we have no idea, right? We <laughs> have no real idea, right? Okay, if you exist on all these dimensions, then. Does stopping existing on one dimension mean that you stop existing on all dimensions? How exactly this works? Or do you continue to have other lifetimes on other dimensions and continue there? And then you die there and move on to the next one for an impossibly longer period and so on and so forth until you basically go back to the sort of original state of being, I don't know, nothing or off or zero, right? Or the source or the initial state, the original state which you came from before you were born right there's no memory of yourself before you're born and then all your parts sort of progress until complete death Let's say the time it takes for your full body, every last particle of your body to pretty much entirely disassemble all the DNA and all the cells of your body to entirely disassemble, which takes about a few thousand years, fifty hundred years or something, something absurd can't remember the exact number, but it was something absurd, right? The DNA in your brain takes much longer. It's like the last, 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 last thing to go, right? So sort of until the last part of you has completely decayed and there's nothing there that you can actually call a part of your body. Right, if we reduce everything to like the cells as the unit of life and say like the nucleus of the cell which contains the DNA And that DNA, once that DNA is gone then there's full death. Once the last cell is completely gone Okay <laughs> What's happening with your other dimensional cells, right? What's happening in all those other dimensions which you are clearly made out of stuff from them? Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? Human experience is pretty, pretty weird. It's pretty damn weird. You could easily enter a visionary space, easily, and continue living there almost indefinitely, because time works very differently in these other numinous spaces. But yeah, so the exact nature of death, even if you ground it in the most hardcore mathematics and physics... Doesn't seem like it's just nothing at all. It's very different from this. It appears to be orthogonal to life in some fashion, but it doesn't appear to be nothing at all. So you don't really know whether that suicide will exactly lead to anything really you can sort of only have a neutral stance of honest uncertainty towards honest uncertainty towards what happens after you physically die mm-hmm. because you can easily die psychologically while maintaining physical life you cannot be there you can be completely unconscious with no awareness or any mental functioning at all and just still the physical body to run. Everyone knows about blackout experiences, right? Everyone knows about deep sleep. Everyone knows about just forgotten fragments of the day. I mean, I was definitely alive, but whatever I am definitely wasn't there. But life was pretty much going on. Just nothing was observing that life. So, yeah. Back to the more grounded stuff. This is the grounded episode, by the way. So, the fear was that Okay, I am gonna give it one last chance to actually try and get well through proper psychiatric and medical treatments, the best that was available to me in South Africa in my country at the time, sort of, okay And I got some good mental health, I got better, I recovered quit smoking, quit a lot of self-destructive drug use, really, really used to abuse all kinds of depressants. And I stopped doing that. The sort of better and better the meditation and spiritual practice got, the more sort of drug-like and intoxicating it became. The less and less I depended on exogenous sources for this stuff. But the fear was that at some point, I think the sort of, there's the initial hardcore breakdown and ripping apart and death process of the onset of bipolar where you don't really know what's happening to you you have no way of discerning it from a normal way of life you just slowly sink deeper and deeper and deeper and this thing just devours you and you have no idea what this thing is and you don't and you can't tell the difference between it and yourself And just what you are, and just how life is now. The sort of old world is quickly forgotten, and the world of severe pain and chronic depression takes over everything, and you become it. Well, I became it. I just became the depressed person, the bipolar person. It'll totally replaced anything I was before. It was a very identity-defining experience, very life-defining experience, right? If we viewed it in sort of shamanic terms, it would be the real beginning of my journey. You sort of have to get to heaven, you have to, like, go to the bottom of hell, and then on the back of Satan's, on Satan's back, there is a ladder, and then you climb that ladder all the way to heaven, to the heights of heaven. Yeah. So, yeah, the fear is, like, one day, this shit will come back, or... It'll get worse than it ever was before. I'll be back there at the desperate bottom with nothing to help me because the help I finally accepted was my last chance, right? I was already gonna commit suicide. I was already at my worst end. And sort of to come back to a similar space like that now is peculiar, right? Cause like, the enlightenment stuff, what it did give me, right? Is sufficient discernment to actually tell what is going on in my head, even when it's crazy, right? Even when it's the most insane, delusional, psychotic, manic shit, or depressive psychosis, I can clearly see it for what it is because your baseline, my baseline has become, through all this enlightenment practice, has become equanimity and tranquility. That is the actual fundamental norm. That is the fundamental norm of my experience. That's the baseline. That's sort of the true north. If I'm feeling equanimous and tranquil, I know everything is good. When there's anything else on top of that, I know I'm sort of, there's something extra. Never really off-center. Never really stop being tranquil. Never really stop being equanimous. It's a persistent trait, right? There are altered states and there are altered traits. And this is an altered trait. An altered trait is there as there can be even if you were to stop meditating. But this is not recommended because meditation does a bunch of other mental health and mood modulation stuff, which you kind of need after you've been doing it for thousands of years. And yeah, it's another story. But yes, so the conclusion is pretty much It improved things a lot, but it ultimately didn't, like, fix the base physical chronic pain of the depression. All the psychological stuff was sort of a lot better, but the base chronic emotional pain, like, the physical symptoms of anxiety, Right? The chest pain and that kind of heaviness of the body and sort of the negative affect I guess, right? Yeah, it's just pain. Chronic physical pain that either has somatic origins or has psychological origins that The physical symptoms That seems to always and forever need treatment Always and forever The interesting thing though is that I was able to After getting over the initial shock and anger I was able to empathize with a criminal who had a person, not a criminal. What are we saying? But those are not mutually exclusive, right? I was able, someone who had desperately broken into a house or whatever, I don't really know their situation, can't really judge their actions for what they are, and sort of, they broke in, and I had to fight using different things almost lost an eye or ended up with a puncture in my brain all kinds of way i could have died could have had a gun they seemed to have been two people but only one of them was left most minute minute things could have led to my death in that case and i sort of It was a life and death situation for damn sure. And so I got like ASD, which is like baby PTSD, which means you sort of like you have the trauma, but the trauma doesn't endlessly torture you every moment of your life. But you definitely got traumatized from it. That's for damn sure. So I got this new bit of trauma among sexual trauma from childhood, which is probably the initial cause of like the bipolar in addition to genetics, right? Primary cause of mental illnesses, almost all of them, except from like congenital brain Defects right and stuff like that and disabilities apart from those kind of impairments In the physiology the general reason For most mental disorders is child sexual abuse and oh boy, do we have plenty of that in as human beings But yes So that moves us to the next topic. So, um, yeah, tr- trauma something you still need to work through. It didn't really fix it. <laughs> right. It, it, it doesn't fix that stuff for you immediately. Right. It allows you to look at it with peace and equanimity right you're able to take a neutral position in analyzing it and actually have the wherewithal all to face your trauma right like in mdma studies some of the trauma for the people is so difficult that they can hardly get through the therapy Because they can't even bear to look at the traumatic event at all. And sort of throwing the MDMA in there allows the sort of the amygdala to not completely freak out and keep them from like becoming re-traumatized from remembering the experience. So they can actually look at it, at the trauma and actually work through it. But yeah, so it gives you that kind of a foundation where you can look at really, really horrible shit, but your physical symptoms and stress responses and everything, all the physical stuff, doesn't really appear to change totally, at least within a short period of time. You get a kind of reset... And then you need to, what, let's say I was, like, put it at about, like, 23 or so, 23 or 24, at the time of actually becoming enlightened. And then I've spent the following years finding out what that actually is and integrating it. And so you take that as being, like, reborn in a sense. And then you have to sort of undo the past 24 years from before you were enlightened and work through all the bullshit that you learnt and all the crappy ways of life that were there and all the habits and self destruction and all the toxic stuff all the gender nonsense all the sexuality nonsense just every single terrible habit that you took entirely for granted you look at it you look at your suffering you look at the suffering in the world that is ceaseless and endless and seemingly causeless in nature, just unfathomable, transcendent suffering un- upon which all oh, the most basic conveniences of daily life are built. <laughs> just endless, endless, endless slaves and corpses in all directions. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it has to like be necessarily meaningless right or like a game or a play right play in every sense of the word it's a cosmic play and something you play or that is a play is something that's not ultimately to be taken entirely seriously it's real it's real suffering but it's ultimately meaningless how can i say it it's ultimately how can I say it? it's ultimately for fun right it's ultimately not to be taken seriously Because if we really had to take every bit of fucking suffering and annoyance that we deal with in daily life, I mean like man chronic depression is not fun (laughs) fun chronic pain is not fun right like causeless chronic pain for no reason that is just pretty much always there no matter whether you are actually happy inside your head or blissful or enlightened or high or whether you're External circumstances or perfect luxury and comfort, and it just makes no difference whatsoever, and you're still in just like the most crushing pain, there is. Right? If I like talk this seriously as fundamentally ultimately real and true and like having some kind of certain purpose and meaning like oh god is punishing me or it's happening to me personally (laughs) this is madness (laughs) right this is madness and it's sort of that kind of madness that is solved by depression right it doesn't it's sort of it's the comparison of the first arrow versus the second arrow right right or the first thorn versus the second thorn right the first thorn you sort of use to the first thorn hurts you physically and that's sort of what you can call pain right suffering in that sense and you can't really do anything about that right there's not really much that can be done about that medicine is making great strides and is trying but ultimately eradicating all pain altogether i don't know maybe gene editing or other forms of transhuman approaches can resolve it But I don't really know, we kind of enjoy pain in some cases and it's kind of good to have pain signals to tell you when something is going horribly wrong. So yeah, your alarm that wakes you up in the morning must be painful enough to actually wake you up and force you to get out of bed. Otherwise you might not, you might ignore it. (laughs) So good alarm system. So we're not talking about the alarm system. What we're talking about is dukkha, right? Dukkha, which is discontent rather than suffering. It's suffering is discontent, right? Or suffering about suffering right you're depressed about being depressed you're worrying that you worry too much (laughs) that shit right all of that shit definitely 100% goes away and the side where you are taking pain, personally, also goes away, right? Right? The arrow that someone else shot you with is objective and the pain goes away quickly And after you remove the arrow and after you heal that takes its own time. That's not something you can take personally as happening to you on a fundamental basis as some kind of reward or punishment or anything. It's just a phenomenal effect of the objective world which you're sort of, which what you are (laughs) Right, in a fundamental sense Is sort of Both in that One with it And orthogonal to it And sort of a collection of all these things Right There's no way you can sort of Claim egoic ownership of it As my personal pain Occurring to me It's sort of something that happened In the world a thing that happens is not really happening to you, it's happening with you, around you, with other things. But yeah, so we sort of work through all the stuff and the discontent which is what dukkha is, right? the discontent the taking personally what is not ever really personal that that stuff goes away 100% 100% it goes away it takes a while for you to like clean out all of it but that stuff the discontent can really 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 go away fully worrying about worrying about worrying about all that shit all those layers can entirely go oh no i don't want you to see me crying oh As if the fact that you were crying was not painful enough. Now you're also worried about how you look because you're crying. (laughs) Give yourself a break. (laughs) Give, Give yourself a break. You're already crying. Just cry. Let the crying end. And then carry on with your business. Right? Don't like cling or push away or try to fiddle with the crying. the most bizarre, insane things. No, no, I must appear strong at all times. <laughs> no, what, 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 what will they think of me? <laughs> What will they think of me? (laughs) Yeah, that stuff. That stuff goes away. (laughs) That stuff goes away, right. Being punched, being slapped, being rejected, failing. That shit still hurts. (laughs) right pain pain is pain is pain is pain is pain right okay so the grand fear was that this oh this amazing pain this terrible terrible pain would come back and then i'd have no choice but to kill myself right sort of drawing a fine line between fear and phobia that was a phobia man that is dukkah right that's discontent that's like real fear right real fear is like a kind of pain and alarm system. It comes and it's gone. It's a startle response. It's a chemical response in your body that your body digests and then goes away and there's no fear left except whatever tricksy bullshit you choose and do you choose to build a story around that fear and pain right? Trixie bullshit, like habits and thought habits and stories and how you should behave. No, no, I must hide and stay at home forever now and never go outside. Outside is dangerous. I can't trust people ever again. Trixie, 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 endless layers of story and bullshit and bullshit and bullshit that's just sort of are emerging out of and are feeding into the fear response, the fear response, rather than actually soothing the fear response at all, which is self-soothing. It will digest itself and then go away, right? The psychological side, right, the trauma side is the stuff of integration integration is extremely important for intense experiences whether they're intensely positive or intensely negative or intensely neutral you must sort of psychologically and spiritually and so on and so forth digest these things this process of digesting them it's largely automatic but actively working through it makes it go by a lot better and a lot faster and you sort of get more out of it like books (laughs) you write 600 800 900 page books and yeah hundreds of thousands of words that no one will ever read, including yourself, because you don't edit, ever. (laughs) Because you spending months or years writing that shit is enough time. You've read it and edited it enough time. It's enough. (laughs) You're tired of your own shit. But yes, so the integration is important.